Hey folks, welcome to another edition of the Bovada At Odds podcast. I'm your host, Seth Everett. The head odds maker at Bovada Sportsbook is Patrick Morrow. He is uh, rested, he is tanned, he is ready, and uh, he has to learn how to put his phone in his pocket because Uh, what he does is he sends what are the equivalent of drunken texts to everybody. Uh, He was texting uh, colleagues, co-workers, and his co-hosts. Uh, yes. And I'm telling you, it was like, I thought it was a ransom letter. And I, thought, <laughs> I thought the kidnappers had found you and they were ransoming you off. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, an he was asking SOS. me to pay. He was like, do you want to use Apple Pay to pay for Patrick's life? No. Yeah, it was an SOS from my legs saying, Seth, please make him stop. Why are we running 5K immediately after doing a hike the day before? But okay, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? I, I'm training for a half marathon this October. Wow. Yeah, I've I've never done half of a half marathon before, so uh baby steps, baby steps, but uh no, it felt good. So yeah, I got caught changing songs uh with about a kilometer left, I guess in my run. Did not properly close the phone and uh just started jabbing random buttons with my thigh and so <laughs> apologies and or you're welcome to whoever got whatever they got from me. <laughs> Your your statement reminds me of uh, when I lived in Denver, Colorado, you know, at the high altitude, we were talking about altitude a couple of weeks ago. And uh, someone said to me, you know, from back home, hey, how's Denver? Nice. They said, uh, is the is the oxygen like like a big deal? Is the thin air a big deal? And I said, eh, only when you work out. There you go. <laughs> Not a pro- Yeah, you'd so have to you ask to someone movies, else. If you go to the movies, it's fine. <laughs> yeah you know those large popcorns uh, towards the end of it the arm starts getting a little bit tired uh, in denver compared to montreal new york but uh yeah that's the only thing you got to watch out for i guess that's all you but, have to worry about that's uh, yeah. it's, it, it's much much easier <laughs> uh speaking of which let's get to uh, the action uh if you're listening to this podcast on the day it's released game three between the boston celtics and the golden state warriors as the series shifts to the famed TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, the series is all tied up at one. Uh, you know, the NBA and their ratings are hoping for a six or a seven game series. You're close to getting that. Uh, still, it's not holding my attention. Uh, are people winning on this? <laughs> Have a lot of bets been made? I would imagine, you know, the underdog, the Celtics winning game one kind of change some things if you had the Celtics I, I, I steer me in a direction here I, I, I'll be the first person to say when something's great I want this to be great I've said this on this podcast before like I really want this to be great I, it doesn't feel like that we're just trying to make NBA sports betting great again Seth and uh, I will be your guide on this journey Um, What are players betting so far? So yeah, right out of the gate, it's a 1-1 series uh, going back to Boston, which if you are the Celtics, you're pretty pleased about that, getting a split coming out of uh, California. Uh, Most of the betting so far, whether it's been pre-match, whether it's been in-game, has been on Golden State. So that uh, game two result, not so great for us. Uh, What we're really seeing uh, players stack on in-game, especially are those friggin' Golden State Warriors third quarter results. Uh, you know, this was a team that uh, in their heyday, and I, I say in their heyday, they're in the NBA Finals right now, so they're, they're, fur, they're very far from washed up, but they were the best third quarter NBA team of the last five, 10 years. And we're now seeing that kind of stacked wagering on them again, where they would, generally speaking, uh, outscore their opponents by anywhere from four to six points uh, on average in these third quarter games. So 
we saw looking at Sunday night's game, for example, that third quarter money line, third quarter handicap, uh, the positions on them were as big as some of the full game stuff, just because of how many players were betting everything they could afford. And maybe some they couldn't afford on those golden state warriors to come out hot in the second half. Uh, the analytics does back it up a little bit, but so that's, that's one of the tougher lines for us to manage at Bavada because we, we have what our expectations are. We know Golden State is awesome in the third quarter. We know they're awesome overall, but uh, as a, it's, it's very tricky. It used to be you could just take the second half over, under, and handicap and kind of just divide that in two, relatively speaking. I mean, fourth quarters uh, generally have uh, the opportunities for fouling late that could bump up scoring, but you can't really do that so much in the NBA now that uh, players have really honed in on specific player splits. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, the various five on the floor for one side versus the other, smashing them together. And what does that mean in terms of expected points? So uh, we've definitely seen players get more savvy with that. And as a result, we've had to be a little bit more creative as to how we're handicapping and how we're pricing those odds. Uh, outside of just players generically betting Golden State, Seth, uh, we do see a lot of love for the Golden State players on the prop markets as well. Um, looking at the NBA Finals MVP right now, uh, we do have Steph Curry as the minus 110 favorite right now, and he is getting roughly 65% of all bets on that market. So considering all the players that could potentially win that award, uh, you know, Jason Tatum's right there, Jalen Brown's right there, to have one player like that uh, be driving so much of the betting, it's pretty substantial. So, uh, you know, we, we, we talked about this idea that, you know, so far it's not holding your attention that much. Uh, that said, while we have seen some impressive NHL betting, and we'll get to that a little bit later, the NBA is still king this time of year right now. Nothing else on the board matches it. Not MLB, of course. Uh, not French Open betting. That was great. But uh, what we're really hoping, and we said this last week, Seth, is that, yeah, I'd like to see these games go back and forth because our liabilities board, on both the Celtics and the Golden State Warriors are just massive losses for us. So we need this series to go long. Six or seven games would be absolutely ideal for us. Yeah, I mean, the length of games, I, I, that, 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 that's the key. Um, and, you know, just if you're new to the podcast, this is our rule. And, and, and our rule has been when something's great, it's great. We're the first people to say it. Um, we were talking off air. I, I, there were some... The, the Novak Djokovic Rafael Nadal quarterfinal at the French Open was awesome, mm-hmm. right? It was a war of attrition. It was champions battling against each other, right? That, 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 was, that was compelling sports. I, the, uh, finals, the finals stunk. <laughs> yeah, um, we, you know, we talked about uh, you know, Nadal played the Canadian in the round prior. I watched that. But Nadal Djokovic, that was appointment viewing and it's so easy to say this after the fact, but it's you know maybe a little bit surprising that uh, Djokovic was a favorite going to that match after his long layoff and Nadal being the king of clay for as long as he has been. Uh, I, I do got to say, though, Nadal continuing to perform at that high level and owning the French Open to the extent that he does, does help me feel a little bit younger. I think you know maybe that's what helped uh, you know inspire me to sign up for this half marathon. If Nadal can keep doing what he's doing at his age, Maybe old Pat Morrow can uh, shake off the rust a little bit and get out there and mix it up with the youngins. Yeah, he, he's well, he's a marvel. I mean, he, and the numbers don't lie. I mean, he's he's achieving stuff that players generations before him uh, have not been able to do. I mean, fourteen French Open titles, twenty two now, and he has uh, two more than both Federer and Djokovic. I mean, it, it's a golden era. 
And as far as on the women's side, which I've always said, and we've had this debate on this podcast before, I think women's tennis much more compelling than men's tennis. Uh, in the men, in the women's side, um, Iga Swiatek. I mean, she is just a, a monster. She dominated. Um, and you know, the, the cool thing about a, a women's tennis match from a, from a intention deficit <laughs> question mark, um, they're faster, you know, like the, if you're down a set, you gotta, you're fighting for your life, you know, whereas in the men's side, if you lose your first set, you know, you got a marathon ahead of yourself. Um, it's very, very different. And some of these matches, I mean, the final, she beat Coco Goff in 58 minutes. Yeah. It, it was a, so this is not a Seth and Patrick bashing on the NBA. If it's good, it's good. We know what a good basketball game looks like. I've seen yeah. good basketball games. I just, I'm not seeing them. Yeah. Couple, a couple quick thoughts on women's tennis. Uh, Cause it's, it's interesting in how it stands out relative to so many other women's sports. Uh, you know, WNBA, the ratings aren't really there. Uh, women's hockey in Canada ratings aren't really there. Uh, women's college basketball is, you know, if, if Connecticut or Baylor is doing something, maybe the ratings are there a little bit, but outside of that, I don't really know who's good. You know, the lady Vols back in the day, of course, but with women's tennis, I, I, I don't know if there's like an eye test version of it, where if you're an average meathead sports viewer or listener, however you consume sports, uh, nobody watches women's tennis and think, oh, I could do that. I could beat them. They are incredible. You know, it's, it, it is a slower pace than the men's game, but it's still an incredible product that they put out there. And I think uh, what makes uh, the French Open uh, in women's uh, tennis so wide open as it is, uh, you know, really anybody could win that, is the nature of the court surface itself. It slows the ball down. And these are hitters that already aren't serving as fast as the men. So it does make a more wide open tournament. And that whoever's playing the best defense, whoever could just hang out there a little bit more in those back and forth rallies, that's who's ultimately going to come through. So you don't have the heavy hitters that dominate the French Open. You know, Serena Williams, when she's healthy, does not dominate the French Open like she does the, the hard court or uh, the Wimbledon surfaces because you can't. The surface just doesn't allow you. You have to outlast your opponent. You can't just brutalize them. And I think uh, it continues to be why I enjoy tennis so much because every tournament, every surface plays different. To be the king or queen of all of them is close to him, not impossible, but it's something that's rarely seen in our lifetime. Something that Djokovic once again won't be able to do uh, this year. But uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy the heck out of it. I cannot wait for Wimbledon to see how these players move on to that next surface. All right, let's switch gears for the uh, hockey playoffs. The hockey playoffs are still great. Um, the Western Conference, even even the, the, the Western Conference series where Colorado uh, has been dominant, um, there's been no shortage of drama, dramatic games, last second goals. I, it's just been uh, a thrill a minute. Uh, I will give it up to the fans in Edmonton. Um, if I thought Calgary and Toronto were good uh, host cities with those uh, crowds outside the arena, the folks in Edmonton, I, it, it feels like every resident in Edmonton uh, is at that game. I, it, it feels like thousands upon thousands of people are at that game. Uh, and still, nonetheless, uh, it looks like Colorado is on its way to a final. Yeah, this is, it's, it's a real tough one for the Oilers. They ran into what has been on paper and in the results called the best team in hockey this season. And, you know, the Avalanche, it looks like they're finally 
taking that step now, the one that we thought they could have done for the last few years now, where they've been, if not the outright favorite amongst the favorites. And uh, they are now the odds-on favorite to win the Stanley Cup. And by that, I mean they have a greater than 50% chance of all the remaining teams, including the Oilers, Rangers, and Lightning. Uh, yeah, the NHL playoffs have been incredible. That first game of the series, where I think it finished 8-6, the over-under uh, closed at seven, which I can't recall the last time I saw that in an NHL game. And man, we got crushed in that game one opener because players just kept betting over seven and a half, over eight and a half, over nine and a half. It's like uh, when you feel like uh, you see red 10 times in a row at the roulette table and just go, oh, free money, ding, 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 ding. That was the mentality betting into that first game. So we we have been a little bit uh, fortunate that uh, the goal scoring has calmed down a little bit in that series. But uh, cool contrast between what's taken place in the West, what's happening in the East, where the Rangers look like they really could have taken a stranglehold on that series, up two games to nothing. They had a two-goal lead halfway through the second of game three. Tampa Bay was able to fight back. And you know now we still have something going on in the East. Uh, you know That series could still easily go either way. Um, it's, it's been incredible hockey, uh, and I, I feel very, very just thrilled as a fan. I don't often get to consume sports as a fan. It's it's all numbers. It's all dollars and cents to me. But watching these NHL playoffs, uh, it's it's truly been a delight to see not just the quality of play, but you noted the fans in Edmonton. Um, you know, the atmosphere at these games are just always something else. There's not there's not a slow uptick. There's not a like a midweek NBA game that we sometimes see where they're kind of just going through the paces. There's no half court offense here. It's up tempo. It's serious. It's fast. It is. It's the best. And I know the Eastern series, that's a little closer and uh, they'll play a game uh, in between the time that we're recording versus when they're. Uh, when, when when this podcast comes out, which is always hard with these seven game series. Uh, but uh, regardless, I would say Colorado's the favorite against either New York or Tampa. Absolutely. Whoever comes out of the East there, uh, the avalanche will be at least, I'd say 66% favorites. If not, maybe a bit higher, maybe closer to 70%. That's me ballparking right now. Of course, we don't know how that series uh, will end, you know, if it goes seven games, that uh, plays uh, that plays a factor into how rested these teams will be, if there's any injury uh, factors that come into play. So, yeah, I, I'd be comfortable saying that the Avalanche are currently a 66% favorite over whoever comes out. But, uh, you know, a, with a slight nod being that uh, we still have the Rangers ever so slightly rated uh, as a less team, as, as a weaker team, pardon me, than Tampa Bay. But it, but it is very close at this point of the season. Right. And, and, you know, the interesting you know part about all of this um, is <laughs> one thing I love about hockey. And, and, and again, this not to be a comparison to the NBA is the rivals. I, you know, I, I can't stand Tampa, um, but I can't stand the Rangers more. So the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Go lightning. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm. I, I really want to see an Avalanche Lightning finals, not just because of your Rangers uh, hatred, but because you know the Lightning have done it back to back years. This really feels like the Avalanche chance to uh, take that next step that they've been so close to taking yeah, for the last this is few their seasons. Chance. This is their window, right? And you know what better way to really put the emphasis on it by knocking off the back to back defending champs? Uh, you know, I, I hope that's another. Again, the Lightning have to get all the way there. They're still down at the time of this uh, recording, but. Uh, that's that's what I'm rooting for to the extent that I'll allow myself to be a fan. All right. Uh, before we uh, call this uh, a day here, uh, there is a golf tournament coming up this weekend and it is called live golf. 
it's not the uh, Lenny Kravitz song live. <laughs> it's it's LIV golf invitational series it's taking place in London. Now it's a competitive golf tournament. It's like the analogy is, well, the best analogy is you're playing in the premier league and you decide you want to go to the, the, uh, the Paris league, you know, that, that, that to me is the, the equivalent of this. Uh, it's not like if you're in the NFL and you're going to the USFL, I don't think that's the same thing. No, and, um, and these soccer teams tried to do this uh, a year or two ago. Remember, they tried to band together to do a Super League and FIFA <laughs> kind of did a similar thing that the PGA is trying to do with these players now by saying, "Ah, hey, you do that, you're persona non grata. So, um, well, it, but then there's the controversial comments about uh, from Phil Mickelson about who's financially backing this and Saudi Arabia. And, you know, it opens up a slippery slope because the NBA does dealings with China. So do all sports. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, there, there's human rights issues there. Um, you know, there, there's there's all kinds of stuff. What you take a stand on and what you don't. I guess my question is, is that does this series is, is there going to be a scenario where a bunch of other golfers just leave the PGA and the PGA is just this other league and these leagues compete against each other. And they have like a, a gentleman's agreement not to play the majors up against each other. Like how is this going to work? I don't know. It's uh, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, Dustin Johnson got all the hype and part of that was because of all the money he's getting to play on this tour. Um, but you know, th there's some real names, Ian Poulter, Charles Schwartz, or, uh, Oosthuizen's there, Kevin, Nuss, Sergio Garcia, Matt Jones. These are all players that are names on the tour. Martin Keimer as well. Uh, so this isn't just Dustin Johnson and a bunch of guys that they, uh, you know, just grabbed from the local club. This is, this is serious golf being played. This is serious money being played. So I do think it could potentially be a threat to the PGA, um, the fact that they've got as many players as they have already on this tour, um, if it, if it goes with a success, if uh, players are getting paid, uh, you might have a lot of other guys in the PGA tour currently waiting in the wings, just maybe seeing how this plays out. And if it looks like it's okay, uh, yeah, why wouldn't they do it? Uh, you know, a lot of players currently on the PGA well, but tour. Do you do it because you're standing up for a cause? I mean, or do you not do it because you're standing up for a cause? I, I, is there I don't loyalty know. I mean, in this, or is this just about people's, you know, bank accounts? I, I think it's probably about bank accounts. I think uh, you know Dustin Johnson, uh, you know, the money he made right out of the gate, uh, that would have taken him another five years or so in the PGA to make, uh, maybe ten. Um, I listen. I, I don't want to get caught up in the comparing you know the saudi arabia to the pga tour and various corporate sponsors and stuff like that because i don't know everybody's skeletons uh one way or another i know some i know some tough things about some tough people and some tough businesses that have tough business partners and i think a lot of people will have to consider all of that stuff um but i i mean listen a lot of u.s companies continue to have business relationships with the saudi government to some degree whatsoever and I don't know that they're put under the microscope as much as this uh, live tour currently is. Um, I, you know, at, at Bavada for the time being, I think we'll just try and figure out to 
you know, how best we can get the odds rights for these events. But uh, it's, it's something that we'll have to watch out for because otherwise it's, it's still golf. It's still golf being played. It's still uh, a lot of players that we have meaningful sample sizes for, you know, a good amount of data to, uh, you know, base our lines off of. They're playing at courses that we're relatively familiar with as well. So uh, it doesn't pose too much of a challenge to us. Uh, it, it's just kind of curious um, how this will change our scheduling of events uh, going forward. And yeah, whether this live tour does have staying power to compete with the PGA and how we, you know, do we start offering more derivatives, more in-game for the live tour relative to PGA? Again, some version so of it's our not players. an automatic. So and I'm not saying it as a criticism. It's not a no. it's it's not an automatic. You're not running this weekend on the Bavada website. You're not doing the same amount of in-game betting that you do for a regular PGA event. No, not at this point, but uh what we will do leading up to the tournament, uh, leading up to uh, Thursday, pardon me, uh, our betters, like they do in so many other uh, things that we offer, Seth, whether it's Live Tour, whether it's WNBA, whether it's uh, college baseball that we have up right now, uh, if the betters show the interest and they are betting this as heavily or close to as heavily as they're betting uh, PGA, we will up our offering. We will respond to that need from the marketplace to add up. But yeah, as it currently stands, we're, we're not going to go head-to-head in terms of what we put out there for PGA for the live tour just yet. But if the reaction to this tournament is enormous, you'll consider it for future events. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this would be a great thing to circle back uh, on next week uh, to compare uh, versus other tournaments. Right. Let's see what the action is and compare. I I think that's fair. I I think it's fair to do uh, if you're going to just take this for what it's worth. Oh, yeah, exactly. And listen, if players, again, if they like this, if they're betting into it, if they're showing that it can stand with the PGA, uh, they will let us know and we will respond in kind. (laughs) Yes, yes, we will. All right. We will respond in kind to a podcast. Again, if you get a strange text message from Patrick Morrow, (laughs) it just means that he's running. It's a good thing. Yeah, again, uh, I thought he was on a drunken stupor. He was on a bender. Uh, It was awesome. And I was ready to crack his code. Turns out (laughs) it is so disappointing to find out it was just his phone rubbing up against his pocket. That's all it was. Yeah. Sorry about that, folks. Once again, depending on the content of the message, I apologize and or you're welcome. (laughs) The pictures aren't with We'll see you next week on the Bavada (laughs) at Us podcast. Oh, boy. (laughs) 